welcome once again to Cinemaholics, the major motion podcast, where we talk about the biggest and best films coming to theaters and streaming online. From the San Francisco Bay Area, I'm John Agroni, film editor for InBetweenDrafts.com. And from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, he's a freelance film writer, and I have a deep wish, and that's that I get to talk to Will Ashton for a minute. No, oh, that's very sweet of you. How are you doing, John? Oh, sorry, I just forgot what I wish was. I don't, sure. Who knows It's why. exciting that, uh, you know, we're both pretty tired we've had long weeks and we're going to talk about this exhausted yet also weirdly uh incomplete film (laughs) we're gonna unwind relax sit back and relax with a disney plus movie that we watched on the big screen sure yeah you keep saying that the disney plus film i don't really get exactly what you mean by that and i read your disney plus energy i'm i'm being very specific here what's the confusion no it's not i mean i get why you say that i guess for me it, it, i don't know if i agree with it exactly it feels more like first draft energy i think but i don't want to jump ahead of ourselves well i mean i would say a lot of disney plus stuff has first draft energy <laughs> well look what i mean when i say disney plus energy it's of a kind not exactly like but of a kind with tv movies where it's something that just feels manufactured to be watched passively and casually at home, not an event film. And and I say that almost reluctantly because I don't always want everything to have to be an event film to enjoy it in a movie theater. Everybody defines event films differently too, so that's a whole other mess. Like for me, The Holdovers, that was an event film, right? The event being me watching on a bus and smiling the entire time and having the best Wednesday of my life. But, you know... You watch that movie on a bus. <laughs> what do you want from me? Yeah. I, I honestly, considering that movie, not a bad way to watch it. Totally honest with you. Although I would love to see it in a theater as well. Who has the time? But with Wish, the entire time I'm watching it, I'm like, this is a, okay, the kids are bored. You know, throw in the VHS equivalent of, a, of Disney Plus on and distract them for an hour and a half. It is not built to do anything besides entertain children, which, okay, a lot of Disney movies are like that. The best ones transcend that. Uh, But also, weirdly, do this other thing, which I'm sure we'll get into. That's all I mean. Yeah, I guess for me, it's more like, uh, you know, Chris Buck. uh, Jennifer Lee, I know, didn't direct this one, but I think she was involved as a producer and a story writer. Um, You know, I just... uh, Story writer and screenplay credit with uh, Allison Moore. Um, I just recently watched, there's a documentary on, um, Disney plus called into the darkness or sorry, into the unknown. Um, and it's about the making of frozen two. And it's kind of been fascinating to watch that shortly after seeing, uh, wish because, uh, you know, it, similar creatives and in the film isn't really, uh, it's not really a film. I guess it's more of a series has been pretty open about like their creative process and the vibe I got from, uh that is that like they were really pressed with a deadline for frozen 2 and there was just like a lot of things that got found out in like the last like nine months to like six months of the film being released and i i kind of get the sense of like they just got exhausted making that film but then they forgot that they had this film like on the horizon and rather than i guess you know, because they can't push the deadline for this. It's, you know, it's not like the 100th anniversary is going to happen again next year. So they have to produce a film, but they never really cracked the, like, code of it, it feels like. And the way it, like, something like if you watch The Sweatbox, which is an amazing documentary, um, and that film, like, really just shows, like, how 
um, the Emperor's New Groove became the Emperor's New Groove and the very rigorous and uh, sometimes heartbreaking process of these Disney movies going through huge creative obstacles to kind of become the film that we know them to be. This one just kind of felt like, well, they never really cracked it at the first stage. But that deadline's coming, so they kind of just to keep plowing forward. And it's like they have a really cool idea for the animation, but they don't quite figure it out. But, oh, well, we're just going to have to keep going. And it just seemed like everything was just in the service of the deadline to the point mm-hmm. where, like, you know, like the film ostensibly is finished. But, like, the story was never really figured out. The characters aren't really fleshed out. The animation feels not, you know, lazy, but just kind of half-designed. And so the whole thing just kind of has a, uh, no pun intended, wishy-washy kind of feel to it. Yeah, I could not have said it any better. Because, look, if you have spent a lot of time in this business, and if you, like to what you're saying, have watched documentaries and have studied this sort of thing, been in those rooms, I, for one, I've, I've seen the Pixar process firsthand. They are meticulous. If it needs to be delayed, it needs to be delayed. And yet at the same time, every once in a while, they will come out with something like Toy Story 2, which they did in an unbelievably short amount of time on a deadline that is kind of absurd. But I do think that something has happened since those halcyon days of 1999 in where Disney has become such a big, mushy brand that it's like mushy and firm at the same time. They cannot be flexible. And so, like, I think that's a big reason why they have a hard time getting through that first stage of the process and why even movies I've liked from them recently, like I thought Encanto was okay, and like it had some really great moments, really great music, and I thought the world of it was really exciting. But I can be very honest and say, if if I recall from our review too, the story of that movie, it was a little bit like mm, first drafty. It was a little bit like the conflict wasn't all the way there. It's like they had really good ideas, but they didn't fully bake it. I feel like it just needed another year or two of like just letting that story sit. Same thing with kind of Strange World. Strange World had a lot of potential, but when you watch that movie, it's it's missing a lot of character. And then when you get to Wish, it is just, I think, like a combination of all these problems and then some. And I'll set the movie up, I know, but I just have so much to get off my chest about this movie because in a weird way, I feel bad for this movie because like it's so fine that I think it almost sort of demands a larger conversation on why that's become like, like why mediocre has just become default lately with Disney animation, which is just kind of, I don't know. It's sad when like, it seemed like they were getting past those days, but you know, we're talking of it from people who grew up during the Disney Renaissance. So Gen Xers are like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've been through this how many times with like the eighties, the seventies, everything. I don't know. It's like weirdly like the most fascinating like five out of ten movie you can create in the sense like it's not like fascinating in the sense like oh five out of like, ten is what to... I gave it on my review. Right. It's like it's not as fascinating sense like oh I can like see like the threads of like where they just kind of like tripped over themselves or whatever. It's just kind of like well there's something here. I mean outside of the pandering to like Disney's lore and history, but it's just never like you know and, and it's never really figured out the like. And what of it sort of thing. And then in a way, I feel like Disney usually is pretty good about that. And I don't want to like cast blame on like Jennifer Lee or anyone in particular, but it does kind of feel like they're in this weird kind of in between place where they obviously don't want to just kind of follow the rhetoric of like, you know, like we have a Disney princess and there's an evil queen and she falls in love with the handsome prince and all that. I think they want to like 
shy away from that. And I think they did well with uh, the first Frozen. But it seems like they kind of get uh, the idea of like, okay, and and Kanto is like a really good example of where I think like they have the idea of like, okay, a woman doesn't have to be defined by her romance or all this stuff and can be defined by different things. But then there's still something missing. And this film especially is just kind of like, yeah, I mean, she doesn't have to be defined by her relationships or, you know, her family or anything. But there still needs to be something <laughs> like you can't yeah, just it's have. Like, it, it's honestly it's it's a contrarian kind of movie where it's like, all right. We don't want her just to be defined by romance. Cool. You know, like Pixar figured that out already that like you really don't need to do that for every movie. So then with Disney animation, we do get these things like I think Encanto had a really cool hook to it, right? Where she's like, she's the only member of her family who doesn't have these powers and it drives a lot of conflict. I watch Encanto and I really get in Mirabelle's like headspace. Like I remember that character's name. I haven't seen that movie since 2021. And I remember Mirabelle. I remember kind of what she was going through. Wish? I'm going to, I forgot so much about this movie already because the conflict, like the inherent conflict is so half-baked. It really is. Her main motivation is she wants her grandfather to get his wish. Boring, lame. Look, I love grandparents. I, I feel for the grand, he's probably one of the better characters, but like, that's it. Like it, it genuinely just comes down to that's the only thing that defines her character is wanting something nice to happen to her grandpa. We're going, this is the movie theater. Will Ashton, I need something more. Right, yeah. I mean, I do get that there, there is a desire here to kind of go back to, like, the more simplistic, like, Snow White and the Seven Dwarves uh, storytelling. But That's simplistic know. in a totally different right. vibe and energy. Yeah, yeah, it's not even comparable. Right, because this isn't, like, a classic fairy tale. It's not, like, one of those things where you can kind of get swept up in the, like, majesty of it. Like, it's still an original story that kind of relies on, you know, tropes and cliches that we've sort of seen from Disney and elsewhere. But yeah, I mean, yeah, it's still trying to kind of adhere to the logic of like an older, you know, classic Disney story. But like we were saying, it's still trying to have like progressive mindset. And I don't know, it just, there's like a lot of stuff that just feels like you said, half baked or just not really like fully out of the oven yet. So, so this movie follows, a, as we already said, this young girl, she's like 17 years old. Her name is Asha. She's voiced by Ariana DeVose, who I think is one of those, one of those actors who I just think like is on the brink of making it big. Uh, she's right there with like Rachel Zegler of like West Side Story was a big profile for her. The stuff she's done since has been sort of like percolating, you know, uh, in her case, she was, she's also been in things like Schmigadoon. So like she has some momentum right now. Um, that said, I think that she's a, actually a really good voice actress. And uh, I think that, you know, great singing voice and all that good stuff. But anyway, yeah. she lives in this kingdom called Rosas. And it's it's supposed to sort of be part of the, the Iberian Peninsula. It's this kind of like Spanish-esque, European-inspired sort of thing. And it's this place where this like sorcerer voiced by Chris Pine created what's kind of the equivalent of the United States and I, I think this, but I think that his character, King Magnifico, he's kind of like a basic like politician type of character. You could read him. Like the whole idea is that, you know, you you can when you turn 18, you get to vote. But then like the thing that you wish for were like voting, essentially, like you don't get what you want because like they have like the people in power have no intention of granting what the people want. It's all very like manipulating stuff that's kind of like the allegory that's happening it's not super strong yeah. but it's there if you want it 
Sure. I was also kind of wondering if there was a desire here to like kind of buck the trend of like Disney movies have the sort of, you know, especially like Disney adults sort of have like these glowy expectations of like what the world is and like finding whatever, like true love or true destiny. And there's like, maybe they set people up to fail. And I was kind of wondering if that was like, sort of like what the meta text was supposed to be, or if that's just me kind of assuming that there is any sort of meta text to the film. Well, well, ultimately it comes down to like, you know, sometimes your wishes come true because of magic. Other times you have to work for it, but either way it should, you know, you should have like the freedom. You know what? The, that this is the fundamental issue with this movie, though, is because the whole thing is that she, the main character, finds out, or she doesn't even find out. She knows that people forget their wish, but then as she's trying to become the sorcerer's apprentice or whatever, Magnifico, voiced by Chris Pine, is kind of like, oh yeah, I had no intention of ever granting your grandfather's wish because it's too dangerous, it's too vague, and you're like, okay. But then the the issue that. Asha has with that is not to argue like, oh, that you're not right. Like it, it should be fine. It's more sort of like, we'll give him the wish back and let him remember it. And to me, I'm just like, is that a relatable problem? Are, are people forgetting the things they want? You, you see what the issue is? It's like watching this movie. I'm like, the problem that she is facing right now is not relatable. I have no way in with this movie and Kanto to, to bring that up again I had a way in with that movie family dynamics feeling for like the black sheep of the family and all that stuff but this movie is just totally missing that kind of thing well that's why I was wondering if it's trying to kind of be led by the metaphor because like obviously um the grandfather I think he's like actually just turning 100 so I was yeah. kind of wondering that was supposed to be like because Disney's turning 100 and the idea of like people uh you know can kind of get so caught up in the like pageantry of disney that they kind of lose that uh specialty that you know it's been going around but again like i don't know if like if that's just a coincidence or if i'm actually supposed to be reading that into the film it's, yeah am yeah. i forgetting that like the the tenets of disney and like it, i don't know the meta message to it is just so it's not even corny for it to be corny it would have to like hit me on some kind of level but like sure. You know what I mean? It's just like, it's what you said. It's such a first draft. It's such a like, oh yeah, we could do it like this. And like, it serves the plot because if they forget that creates the conflict, but like they're two revisions away from being like, ah, eh, yeah, that doesn't quite work because how do you get emotionally swept up in this? But instead of going through that process, this movie becomes a cramming session of how many Disney references can we fit in here? in order to celebrate a hundred years of Disney and it's obsessive. It's actually a little worrying. I was worried about this movie while I was watching it. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's just like one of those things where I, I guess they never really figured it out, but it felt like they had to like lock the script before it even <laughs> was like finished like yeah. the story. Yeah. It's like, well, we can't like, obviously it has to come out in 2023. Like it doesn't make sense to release this next year. Cause you know, the anniversary has passed. So like whatever it is, but you know what, Will? If that's the case and your movie ain't worth nothing, if like the main thing behind your movie is to fit an anniversary, it's not a movie. Right. You know what I mean? Oh, I it's just content. That's it. Yeah. They should have looked at this and been like, I want this to be good, not to hit a, yeah, an arbitrary whatever. Yeah. And I'm guessing that's where you get the sort of Disney Plus comparison is that like a lot of those shows or movies at this point feel more like content than uh you know fully fleshed out projects because frankly a lot of that is to kind of keep the you know 
brand going and keep the you know the Disney uh, you know train a rolling. And that's been the thing that's, I guess, you know, you know, it's supposed to be the thing that's those saving it during the pandemic. But now it's the thing that's killing them because all these people are expecting, you know, like movies like Wish to eventually just hit Disney Plus. There's not really as much of a desire to make, like you said, like these things events in the way that they once were. Yeah, uh, I do have I have so much to complain about where to begin, where, where to even start to address. I. I don't like the music very much in this. I, I mentioned in my review, like, again, it's not even that like you're listening to the music and you're like, this music is bad. It's not that simple. I wish it was that simple. It's not. It's more sort of like, I want the music to stop because the music's not doing anything. It's a noise. And, and it's weird because there are a lot of music numbers in this and they seem to be really like chasing Lin-Manuel Miranda a lot. In a lot of places, he didn't work on this. It's yeah. not him. But do you, do you get what I'm saying? It's like, the, I don't know. It, it feels like it's trying to make up for that, almost. I guess. I don't know. I mean, to me, the songs had real, like, placeholder energy to them. Because they didn't bring back um, the... Perfect like, way to put it. They don't have, like, the two Lopez, uh, you know, the, the husband and wife from Frozen. They don't have Lima Miranda, who did Encanto. So it does kind of feel like I, I forget the name of the, the people they brought for this, but I know it's like the people behind that one terrible Justin Bieber song. Sorry. And it's just like, like they're I was looking at their discography and it, it didn't inspire a lot of confidence, but it was just like, yeah, it just felt like a lot of kind of just, we need this kind of song. And now it's time for this kind of song and this thing. Right. None of them really felt, I don't know, organic, I guess, but like none of them just really have like a hook. Or a theme. I mean, the only song that's really memorable is the worst one, which is the Chris Pine one. I mean, I so guess you say that's the worst one. This is the thanks I get. Okay, I I have a reason for why I don't like this song. I'm curious if it's the same as yours. I mean, I I don't like it because I just think it's bad. <laughs> but just um, the sound of it. I mean, I just like the lyrics are corny. I I mean, Chris, it doesn't play to Chris Pine's strength as a voice actor. I don't think. Um, it just feels like it's not really. I don't know. It doesn't really even feel that uh, like organic to, I guess, like what the character is. Even it just kind of feels like this is our sassy villain song. And, you know, it doesn't really like, I don't know. It just doesn't fit. I feel like it just kind of feels like it's, you know, trying to be like another like hit, like, you know, we don't talk about Bruno even, which, you know, you can't really recreate that success because that's, that was just kind of like a one, a million sort of, fluke in a way you know but that wasn't yeah that was an accident honestly um my my thing with that song is that first of all i think that it's i i think it's just kind of a boring song by construction of like his descent into madness which i guess is similar to what you're saying yeah it's cheesy i think that like you're a star song or whatever is way cheesier and, and it's like annoying it's just it, it well, genuinely to me felt like disney jr honestly is that the is the Eurus Star song? Is that the one that uh, um, Aria DeBose sings to get the the star? Is that no? It's like the star shows up and is like turning the animal. Like the animals start talking and singing to her. There's like the oh yeah, like the it's like the kind of like fixer upper version. Like like in the Frozen, like that, like the fixer upper song with the trolls. It's like kind of like that. Yeah, it's, it does have that a similar energy. Yeah, that, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I, I honestly forgot totally about that song until you just brought it up. <laughs> hmm. On, you know, it, it's funny that you bring up Frozen too because 
and frozen, not frozen. Well, I brought up which both. You, you know, yeah, true, true. But Tangled, I think, had a good soundtrack. It it has some good songs in it. I, I think one or two at least. Uh, but I remember Tangled being a movie that I was like, oh, it feels like the songs are sort of like ashamed to be here but they're having fun anyway, you know, like there's, there's like one solid number, you know, like that's fun. Um, but then the next big like musical thing they did was with frozen, I remember just frozen oversaturated. So looking back on it, it's a little bit like, ah, you know, like I don't like thinking of those songs again, a lot of people, cause it's just like, I've heard them like a million times, but it, say what you want. It was like a, f- fundamentally successful soundtrack right do you want to build a snowman love is an open door and then obviously let it go like huge hits for the first time in forever like even the songs that weren't as like important or as successful were still like you know they're catchy and like frozen was like oh this is a shift right the thing um about that soundtrack for the first movie is i i mean i think it's not only a really great memorable soundtrack i think it kind of saves the movie like, I think a lot of those songs sure. really, because the narrative itself isn't like super airtight. I think it is a kind of messy film and like not everything gets really tied up neatly. But the songs, I think, really sell the emotionality and the the comedy and the, um, the kind of core uh, focus. And I feel like that's something that they're trying to kind of do with uh, Frozen 2. But I think that was just a film that kind of just got away from the creators uh, for a number of reasons. Oh yeah. But frozen yeah, 2 was like, like, like an algorithm, not a movie. Right. But, but that leads me to my next point. Go, go, go ahead. Go ahead. No, I just, I, I feel like the thing about like frozen two was just kind of like, well, they had like ideas, maybe too many ideas. And they like figured out certain scenes and like some things were completed, but like other scenes weren't up until like a certain point. It's just like, well, the movie has to come out this day. And we just kind of have to figure I don't know, it was it was more messy, I think, than something like uh, Wish, where it just kind of feels like you know they just didn't really figure it out at all. It's a totally different yeah, yeah, yeah. energy, yeah. Well, yeah, I think Frozen Two kind of fell apart under its own hype. But my larger point, honestly, is that I thought Frozen was it, it set something up that I think was interesting for like these musical movies, and then Moana happened, and Moana had not just a really good soundtrack; I think a better soundtrack than Frozen. And a better story. Now, Moana has its own issues with its story. I think there's like elements to it where it's a little bit like, mm, you know, especially toward the end, it's not the strongest. But overall, I think that movie is very effective. I, and I think it's lasted the test of time. Like, it's really fair to look at Moana. Like, people still watch that movie, people still highly regard it. And one of the unfortunate side effects of it, though, has been. Lin Manuel Miranda just kind of being mimic and replicated mostly by himself and going out and trying to just transplant that style everywhere. It works for Moana because I think it was very strongly considered and Miranda worked on it at a time where he didn't have 50 projects going on. He just had Hamilton and he had this since then he's so oversaturated. He's, he's been making stuff like tick, tick, boom and vivo. And like, it's just like left and right. This guy is working. I'm glad he's making his money. He's a talented guy. And people like to hate on him because he's popular and all that stuff. But I think that it has come down to like the dude just kind of needs less exposure. But the unfortunate side effect to that is I think coming out of the Moana and Frozen era, 
these movies are still just kind of chasing the Lin-Manuel Miranda style, which doesn't work for every movie. It does not work for Wish. Wish has these weird songs that are like trying to talk all fast and trying to like bring the chorus in at weird parts and, and try to like feel like a play. And it's just not like, I, I don't get an artist's touch from this. I get like 20 different artists all competing for crumbs instead of like one person leading the charge and everybody kind of coming in and collaborating. That's my sense from this movie. Yeah. I mean, I remember like 2021 was like the year of Lynn Manuel Miranda. And I was just like, I'd be fine if like, you know, he just took a five year break. It was just like that, like in the Heights, like you said, Vivo and Tick, Tick, Boom and all these other things. And then Hamlet or sorry, Hamilton the year before. Um, and then like, yeah, it's probably coming. Yeah. And then like this year we actually do have him back, I guess with the, the little mermaid, but the, yeah, watching wish, I was just like, yeah, this could use a limb memo Miranda. Like, <laughs> like I, I'd much rather have the real deal, uh, as opposed to like some substitute that's, I guess, like you said, kind of trying to replicate them, but like in a sort of generalish, undefined sort of way. Yeah, I don't know. It's just kind of odd. Yeah. Hmm. Uh, we also have to talk about the animation. I, I had some mean things to say about the animation. Uh, do you have anything nice yeah. to say? <laughs> I mean, I really think it's an interesting design. I think they just didn't really uh, define the 2D elements of enough. Like, I, I don't really like that they kept the 3D models more or less the same as they've been for, I guess, I don't know, probably since, what, like Tangled at this point? I mean, it just seems like they've kind of relied on the same sort of like look and design for humans and whatnot and even for animals but then like there's like the 2d backgrounds and the 2d desire to kind of have a more rigid kind of structured i guess style of animation and i don't know there's not as, as much fluidity to it. it does take a while to get used to and i guess i didn't i don't know i, I guess i minded it less than you did based on your review but it doesn't really i don't know feel like most things in this movie like it was ever really figured out. <laughs> like it just <laughs> well, no. has like, yeah. Fl fluidity is the perfect word, I think, because it, it is, so we're talking about 2.5D animation. It's this combination of 3D animation and hand-drawn. And the reason it's been, it's been very successful for other non-Disney things. And we, we've seen it be very successful in the Spider-Verse movies in particular. Across the Spider-Verse, it's probably going to go down as my favorite movie of 2023. I've been deliberating that lately. I think it is my number one. We'll see. We'll see. I still have more stuff to get to. But, I, thought, uh, I thought Poor Things was your number one movie of the year. You understand. I, I have been just in a crisis this past week watching mm. Poor Things, The Holdovers, and remarking on Across the Spider-Verse. I probably have to rewatch it to know for sure. But anyway. Uh, and even movies that I haven't, that have done this style that I haven't loved all the way, but other people have like Puss in Boots, The Last Wish, I think makes this movie look like just, you know, like garbage. I, I don't, I don't know another word for it. I it genuinely yeah. like, it makes me appreciate <laughs> Puss in Boots, The Last Wish. And I wrote in my review is like Puss in Boots also gets the last laugh because I watch I watch Wish and it's like the fluidity of those movies and the way that they utilize the watercolors, the way that when you're watching those worlds, like 
the hand-drawn animation, you get the benefit of that, which is that everything feels like it's moving in a considered motion. The same sort of sensation you get from watching things like anime and really great like action-adventure kind of animation, but you get it sort of combined with the storybook quality of Western animation that Western animation is so great about, uh, you know, notwithstanding things like Studio Ghibli and Miyazaki, but, you know, like the storybook aesthetic, the things you do get from like classic Disney. So I didn't know too much about this movie going in. I have to imagine if I had watched the trailer or if I had been more aware of kind of like how they were doing this style, I would have been much more excited because I would have been like, oh, this is a positive direction, right? For Disney to kind of be finally like adjusting to the times. But instead, mm-hmm. I feel like they're in the shadow. I feel like they, they are just trying. It, it reminds me of when they were trying to ape Pixar to be to do more computer animated stuff when they weren't ready and they hadn't figured out how they could do it in a way that was Disney. Instead, they were trying to do things that were just, you know, like Chicken Little, like well, it's 3D animated because it's 3D animated, not because it serves the story or that we really spend some time on it. And so that's why we had like the 2000s as a transition period. That said, with Wish, it could be a stepping stone, right? To like, okay, maybe they'll figure it out eventually. And this is just like a glitch in the matrix. Yeah. And um, I don't know. I mean, I'd, I'd definitely be more curious to see Disney try stuff like this. Granted, as long as they kind of fine tune it a little bit better. And have something that's a little bit more distinctive than I think some of their more, I don't know, like I, I the, the CG stuff. I mean, I really do like Moana, and I really do like Tangled, and I like um, Wreck It Ralph as well. Um, you know, I'm not saying that the CG era that they've had has been uh, without merits, but yeah, I feel like there's something a little bit more exciting about the the blend of 2D and 3D that could come, even if it is sort of chasing other uh, animating studios' uh, coattails. But yeah, I mean, I, I think I didn't. Um, it didn't bother me as much in the movie because I had seen the trailer and I was just like, what is this? <laughs> it was more jarring when I watched the trailer and not knowing that's what the style was going to be. And I was like, what, what is going on? Like in this, I was like, okay, I was kind of prepared for it. And so it was a little bit more accessible, but yeah, it just never really settles, I guess, for the eye. It does. Yeah. There's something always just kind of off about it. Yeah, I kept waiting for something to happen to justify it. I was like, well, maybe we'll get like one set piece where I'm like, no wonder they did this style. It was all leading to this. And no, it it just kind of whimpered off. Uh, this is a, the most one of the more positive reviews I could find. This is from Correct Caitlin. Correct Caitlin said, what a gorgeous looking movie. Holy S. There's a beautiful message of making your own dreams come true that I think is so poignant. It absolutely relies heavily on references to other Disney properties, which is a bit distracting. Listen, y'all, it's a kid's movie. As long as you don't go in expecting it to be Oppenheimer or some S, you'll have a good time. I, I don't agree. Um, I I didn't go into it expecting it to be Oppenheimer at all. Like, I just, I went into it hoping for the best. And I wish that beautiful message of making your own dreams come true. I thought it was messier than that. I thought it was sort of like a weird sort of like, have your cake and eat it too kind of message where it's like, your dream will come up true no matter what. It's like either magic will do it or you'll do it on your own. And I'm like, well, that's uh, boring. Like, I don't know. Like, I've, I've seen that Disney movie already. Like, I, I didn't think it was all that different. Um, but then, yeah, the, the Disney references. Well, I just when Peter Pan showed up on screen a, a second time and when we had like l- little John talking to Bambi, I just mm-hmm. the whole thing where the goats like I'm going to start Zootopia like 
folks can't see this on camera, but I'm, I'm like palming my forehead. I, I, the migraine is setting in. I just, people get on my case for connecting the Pixar movies, right? Uh, That'll never, I'll never escape that. Yeah. This is a fraction of that crime. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like, no, sorry. The Pixar thing is a fraction of this crime. I should say, because this is like so bad. Mm -hmm. Like it's just, it's so bereft of imagination that it cheapens the imagination of those other properties. And that's the thing that just gets under my skin. Yeah. I I mean, it's one thing to have sort of, you know, the very literal, like, um, you know, Easter eggs or like call out moments where like, you know, the audience is supposed to like recognize whatever, you know, uh, Pinocchio or something, you know, like they're expected to clap. This is a little bit more vague as far as like, I mean, obviously we have like the seven friends or like the seven doors, but like, yeah, you'll just have like moments. Like there's a scene in the forest, if I recall correctly, where like they focus on a turtle and it's just like, is this like a reference to some older Disney movie then? Or like, yeah, Kung Fu Panda. (laughs) Yeah. Is it like the turtle from Finding Nemo? Like that does, that's not really Disney. I mean, it's, it's under the Disney umbrella, but not like Disney proper. I don't know. It's just like stuff like, yeah, it's just like that, and then yeah, I don't know. And then by the end, when like it really tries to like, you know, connect all of this to like the history of Disney and and back like it's some sort of like cinematic universe. That that's where it's like, what are we even doing here? <laughs> like, yeah. Honestly, honestly, uh, Cadel said felt like the plot was just filler between Disney references. <laughs> Well, and you know, the funny thing about that is like, I felt like the references got worse and worse. I think like the beginning of the movie, you can almost sort of not even pick up on it. Like, I I think some people might not even realize the seven dwarfs thing until like a little ways into the movie. There's like, oh, she has seven friends and like, okay, yeah, I see what they're doing. But it starts it, like as it goes, it gets more and more prolific. Unless like I'm I'm so used to it that I started seeing it more readily. But like early on, I didn't see, I didn't know what was going to happen. So maybe I just didn't notice at first. And so th- if there was subtle stuff going on, maybe I, yeah. I think like certainly the whole like Sorcerer's Apprentice. I was like, oh okay, yeah, they're kind of doing a little small quiet tribute to that. No, they're not. Yeah, I mean. And- in the beginning, it's just more like, okay, the one sneezes a lot and the one's grumpy, but then they really lay it on thicker and thicker and thicker as the, the movie progresses. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. To me, like, I don't want to say this movie has Shrek energy because I don't think it does, but there is something kind of like Shrek sequel-esque about it as far as this, like, well, we have to kind of have these references and jokes and stuff, but like, there's nothing really inspiring them or nothing that really you know, clearly connects them. So it's just kind of just like, here's, yeah, like here's Pinocchio or something. I don't know. I keep bringing up Pinocchio when I don't even think he's in the movie, but obviously (laughs) I compared Uh, it to once upon a time, the ABC series, because that show was very gaudy and it kind of relished in doing that sort of thing. But it always felt like when it was doing it, it was so campy, not campy, but like approximating of campy, like Ryan Murphy type of campy, that it kind of got away with it. Where, whereas, like, oh yeah, what if Winnie the Pooh was evil, you know, or like what if Peter Pan was the bad guy and Captain Hook was the love interest, you know? It had what if scenarios baked in. It's like, oh, we all live in this storybook world, and it had fun. That was the thing. Well, I mean, it was that- dumb, but it was fun. This is this is just dumb. 
well once upon a time is that kind of more of like soap opera kind mm-hmm. of stuff like not exactly a soap opera but has that kind of logic i guess to it this is supposed to be Pretty much network tri- tv drama yeah like it's supposed to be like a tribute to a hundred years of you know timeless cinema granted not all hundred years of those are timeless but you know i did i don't know i just i think that's what really kind of i think is getting at people like i guess for me it's just more like okay whatever this is kind of a ho-hum disney movie but knowing it's supposed to be this kind of like grandstanding effort but it has so little like logic or sense to it just kind of makes the whole thing just really baffling (laughs) really that's the thing i think that they came closer to something like this working with just that small special where it was like they're all in sort of the animation studio the characters come out of the portraits like that's how you did that's all they needed to do like it didn't need to be this like if you wanted to do something like that and extend it like that's fun you combine all the different animation styles you have this sort of like mickey mouse like clubhouse kind of thing like Disney's done that before, and and that's a fun way to tribute this stuff because you don't take it as seriously because it's not trying to tell an original story and then not be an original story. It's just being a mashup, and people like mashups. Uh, they don't go, you know. I, I think that that would have been fine enough. Uh, this, this is from uh, Galactic Dude Seven, who said, "I think that the biggest issue with Wish." is that it feels like a movie that Disney created more to celebrate the studio's 100th anniversary than because they thought that they had a good story here worth telling. And as a result, the film lacks any sort of identity on its own and comes across more as a generic Disney film than anything else. It honestly feels like Disney took the aspects of their other films that worked and tried gluing them together into one film, and it just comes across as incohesive and bland. Sure, the film wasn't completely devoid of charms. I did like the animation style, and there were some legitimately good moments here, but... There just aren't enough of them to carry the film and make up for the other areas where this film was lacking. Bland is the perfect word. It It's just bland. It's sure. insipid. There's no flavor. It's soup without salt. Sure. Yeah. Uh, like a saltine cracker without salt. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That better, even better, even better. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I feel like they should have just made like a third Fantasia movie or something. Sure. Like just animation and like not have a linear plot, just like have, you know, kind of anthologies. I don't know. It feels like that would have been a better 100-year tribute than whatever this is. Bookish Tachyon said, I didn't have high expectations going in, but my little sister is a target audience and wanted to see it, and I wanted to form my opinion properly. Not worth it. The main song is good, and it ended stronger than the rest of the movie was going, but largely everything is just bland and uninteresting and underbaked. Couldn't be clear. Execs weren't letting the creatives create. That brings up the question. Yeah, I mean... Is it a studio issue? The creatives are being kind of hampered here. Not to bring it back to Jennifer Lee. I mean, she's been running Walt Disney Animation. I think that if you look at Walt Disney Animation as a whole, their efforts have been really mixed. I think that Encanto is kind of the only like good movie that has really been successful since Moana. Uh, You know, since then we've gotten things like Ralph Breaks the Internet, I think, was only okay, didn't do that great. Frozen 2 was a bit of a disappointment. Ryan the Last Dragon, people still kind of blame that movie for ending Lindsay Ellis's YouTube channel, and then Strange World. So, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, yeah, it's one of those things where, like, I, I mean, you have such a huge uh, gap with John Lasser being gone, and obviously, he needed to be exited. Like, I think his behavior is unacceptable. But yeah, I, I don't think we've really kind of, like, forged that balance quite well yet 
I mean, it's obviously going to be like a, a long, you know, road. Like it's not something that's going to be seamless, but yeah, it's it's a sort of thankless job that uh, uh, Jennifer Lee has. But yeah, I do. You know, when I think about the documentary I just watched and how she often kind of seems like overwhelmed and unsure of the creative decisions that are going into just like the movie that she was making, let alone like the, the you know all of the uh, animated movies under the umbrella of Disney, it just it does cause concern. Like I said, I mean, it's not something I want to pinpoint to one person. I think just Disney is at a point where they kind of just need to like reevaluate themselves. And, and and I know Bob Iger's had some quotes that don't really inspire confidence about where that might be. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just Disney, you know, this is their hundredth year and uh, I'm sure they, they certainly have a lot of regrets about how this year went, but I don't know. This is, yeah, I mean, I think this is as fitting a, a film for that year as you can probably <laughs> uh, expect, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, I think that Disney has been looking at what they think the people want, which is bring us original stuff, bring us like creative styles. And in some ways they've delivered, you know, Ryan the Last Dragon and Encanto really explored like totally different worlds. You know, Ryan the Last Dragon was kind of doing a fantasy Asian inspired. It was borrowing a lot from like Avatar the Last Airbender and stuff like that. Uh, and more of a hero's journey kind of thing. And I don't think that that movie was bad, but it was, you know, it, it wasn't that successful kind of under its own circumstances. But then Encanto was like, I think good. And it was kind of like, oh, it's this Columbia sort of thing. It had a superpower kind of bent to it. But like, I don't know. It just feels like these movies were lacking some kind of edge to them almost. And then Strange World, I think, was just such a whiff, right? It just, just in terms of like, they had a good idea, but it just seemed like they couldn't bring in the landing. And then the, all the movie became known for was the fact that like one of the main characters was gay and that's it. And it wasn't, and it didn't, you could literally take the fact that he was gay out of the movie. It didn't really do it wouldn't change anything like his internal conflicts and everything. Like it didn't affect anything. And, and the purpose, the intent of that was, well, you know, it, it, in a straight romance, you could do the same thing, right? Arguable, but like, it, it wasn't even something of where, you know, his affection for somebody else. And like any of that was like informing the relationship between him and his dad. It was just kind of perfunctory. It came across as like pandering, Right. It was just like inserted in there. You take it out for like countries that where homosexuality isn't banned or whatever. The movie is still able to make money. I mean, I, I do think with Strange World, it's at least more baked into the story than than something like, you know, the Beauty and the Beast live action remake where it's just like, oh, Josh, sure. yeah, dance. Yeah, yeah. For three that we can cut out for the China release or whatever. Um, but yeah, I mean, at the same time. It did make me. I I didn't realize until now this movie, uh, Wish didn't have um, our fiftieth first Disney uh, gay Disney character. So I mean I don't know what the to, to say. Wish uh, kind of bucked the trend, I guess, in that respect. But um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, Disney's obviously having some growing pains right now, and and uh, you know I don't I don't know if that lesson will be learned, uh, you know, sooner or later. But um, well, yeah. What what are we really losing? What do we need Disney for? You know, it, right. I, it's one of those things. It's like, well, w do we need Disney to be successful? I don't know. I like Disney stuff, but all all good things come to an end if they have to go through another period of time where 
they don't have like a renaissance or like we can't look to them for the best stuff coming out and just stuff that's fine. Whatever. There's other stuff out there. I know it's it's going to be more disappointing for other people who are bigger fans, I guess, but I don't know. I'm not losing sleep. Yeah, I mean, I, I think Disney really needed a come to Jesus moment. And, you know, if it, if it needed to be through a pandemic, hurting their uh, amusement park sales and mm. a streaming service, hurting their box office and however many other things are going on. They've never uh, been in a more precarious position, I think, in our... Not in our lifetime, I should say, because that's not true at all. They're still such a big behemoth. But in recent memory, right now, like they have three major franchises. They have the sort of like animation side, which encompasses Disney animation and Pixar. They have Star Wars and they have Marvel. All three are kind of being looked at as not great. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like it seems like all three are kind of under attack from within almost of it. Just, it feels like they haven't had a lot of creative energy or juice behind any of these three pillars for a bit, at least in a consistent level. And it's concerning for them, but I I, I'm struggling to care because the, the only studio that I'm emotionally and personally invested in is Pixar. Uh, because I think that Pixar just has genuinely been a better studio across the board and you know even in their lowest lows and i don't want them to get screwed over any more than they already have. so but i i certainly you know in in other cases i'm like dizzy animation like yeah maybe they have to go through another sort of like black cauldron era or another meet the robinsons era where you know we're just we don't have to expect them to put out bangers all the time yeah i mean Definitely, I was thinking about that Black Cauldron era. I mean, there's also that documentary, uh, Waking Sleeping Beauty, uh, you know, talking about uh, Disney documentaries. It's well worth watching. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if that's what's going to happen here, per se. But, um, yeah, I'm definitely curious. I, I am amused that you brought up Meet the Robinsons, uh, seemingly the only <laughs> Disney movie that didn't get a tribute during the end credits, uh, for whatever reason. <laughs> well, I, I Bolt. Bolt didn't get one. Or... No, Bolt was there. <laughs> No, Bolt was there. Um, Bolt was there. Yeah, I yeah. Forgot. I mean, I yeah. Um, wait, wait, wait. The, what about um, Home on the Range? Was that on there? Nope, that was there. Yeah. What about Mars Needs Moms? No, that one wasn't. But I don't know if that's Disney <laughs> proper. I don't know. That one's in a weird sort of flux state. I don't know. I mean, I think Meet the Robinsons was like the only major omission. I don't really know why. Like, I don't know if that was like a licensing thing or or what. Mm, but yeah. yeah. I mean, wait, what about the Rescuers? I don't remember seeing the rescuers. I think they were there. I, I I don't, you know, it's been a little bit since I've seen this. What film about now, the Aristocats? I think they were there. I, I, I don't know. Now I'm, I don't really remember the, mm. but I, I am very curious about the politics of the uh, decision to include, like, for instance, like, obviously we need to include a character from Aladdin and, you know, the most famous one is genie, but the movie's called Aladdin. So we're going to do that. But like Emperor's new groove, like the movie's called Emperor's new groove, but we're not going to have the emperor. We're going to have, Isma, you know it's just like it's just like a very kind of like i'm not sure which movie got the, the, the designation of like this is one we'll highlight the supporting character and this is one we'll have the main I think you've already got to the point will where you put more thought into it than any of the people at disney <laughs> i have to be totally honest with you i think i think generally it was just sort of like i don't know who was in that movie again <laughs> right uh just take a composite that we have saved in this thumb drive yeah uh, let's play the Rotten Tomatoes game. 
Wish has 179 reviews counted. One of them's from me. And you know how I feel. Blush, and what is your guess on the tomato meter? I've heard rumblings. I, I haven't ever heard the score, but I heard rumblings that this one was not doing so hot. Um, and I think it's actually probably in the negative at this point. I don't think it's going to be like rotten in the sense like, you know, like a 45 or something. But I think it is probably in the 50s at this point. So I'm going to say 56%. Not too far off, 50%. Mm. So literally, like, coinciding with, like, I gave it a 5 out of 10, and it's, like, right there, huh? Yeah. Uh, audience score, though, 500-plus verified ratings. What about that? Um, I feel like audiences are probably more forgiving. I don't know uh, to what extent, but, you know, I, I don't think they're, like, over the moon about this. So I'm going to say 64%. No, it's 81%. Okay. On- honestly, wow. I think, if I'm being honest, I probably would have guessed in the 70s. So that's interesting. But yeah, 81, it, it, it's a bit higher. And I, I'm kind of curious about that. If that's like a sort of like people watch the trailer and they felt like, well, I got what I wanted, right? It's like, I have no one to blame but myself. Uh, cinema score though. Um, I don't know. I feel it's like a C. A minus. Wow. I know. Very surprising. I was not expecting that at all. I thought it's, this would be a BB plus. Uh, but yeah, A minus is stark. Um, and then we go to letterboxd and, you know, letterboxd is always all over the place in terms of like what people on this website watch, like ballad, ballad of songbirds and snakes, 300,000 watches. This movie wish big Disney animation movie, 20,000 logs on letterboxd. Amazing. Um, I wonder if the holdovers has more (laughs) and, uh, yeah. Uh, what do you think the average rating is on letterboxd though? Uh, that's a tricky one. Um, I'm just going to go split right down the middle. Is it like 3.0? Close. 2.7. I forgot to mention the star, the actual star that kind of comes in because it's like a prequel for like the wishing star because we deserve it. Sure. Um, The star itself, kind of cute, but kind of a boring design in some ways too. But like, I don't know. It's, I'm, I'm conflicted. I'm like, well, that's not bad because it feels like, yeah, we made it so it would f- be a plushie. But I kept feeling like the star had should have had more to do in this movie. I felt like it kind of shows up and it all it, do- it doesn't grant any wishes. All mm-hmm. it does is just like make animals talk or whatever and do random stuff to the environment. But it never connected to like why the king was afraid of it. There was right. a whole other thing. I was like, not another magic thing. And it's just like, I don't know. Like this star was like AOC in the... King Man, if it goes Joe Biden, I don't know. Like, what? Well, I don't know what this movie's going for. I'm trying. Yeah, I mean, to me, like, as I was watching the movie, and I was looking at the the star's face. I'm like, I've seen this somewhere, but I can't place exactly what. And I was mm. on the drive home. I was just like, oh, this star is exactly like Ron from Ron's Gone Wrong, a movie that came out what like two years ago. <laughs> um, is that right? Let me let me look at Ron's Gone Wrong again. Yeah, like um, look at Ron from Ron Gone. Ron's gone wrong. Then like look at the star. They have very very similar faces and personalities. Kind of similar, yeah. But Ron's gone wrong. Definitely a better like creature kind of design and sure. deal for sure. But yeah, I mean, I don't know. Just like yeah, there's something just oddly kind of. I mean, obviously very very cute, but still kind of just generic as well. Like yeah, it's a mischievous star and uh, it has. Well, you know what? Okay, let's finish with this. <laughs> the both the star and Asha have the same kind of issue. They are very samey. 
in terms of like characters that already exist, there's no surprise to them. There's no subversion. Asha is just an amalgamation of 12 other Disney characters. And I think like Disney just cannot escape this like adorable, quirky female protagonist. And it's starting to get really annoying. It's like, again, I hate to bring it back to like the, the times to get it right. I think both Moana and Mirabelle, they are quirky and adorable, but there's like more going on with those characters. And I think Raya, Raya's kind of annoying, is inconsistent. She is actually a really cool character when they let her be a little bit moody and a little bit more antagonistic and have an edge. But every, then they constantly have to make her feel like Anna from Frozen. And that's the issue. It's like Anna from Frozen and Rapunzel from Tangled, they keep just like copy pasting that sort of attitude, that sort of like fun energy onto every other character. And it holds all of them back. I think like Vanellope is a great example of them not having to do that. Vanellope's kind of kind of mean, kind of like, but she's entertaining, right? And you watch her and you're just like, ah, cool. That's why it's fun to watch her in Ralph Breaks the Internet because she kind of takes the piss out of all the other Disney princesses. But then we just get back to the same format, right? Strange World didn't have that necessarily, but like, yeah, I don't know. It just, Asha, the, what, there was nothing to her that was like, I just feel like this is a clone of these other characters. And it just, it's just, yeah, it, I, was, I was very disappointed. I was like, what's unique about her? V- literally nothing. She's a fairy godmother. Okay. No, I, yeah, I agree. And I know <laughs> but that's a whole other discussion, a whole other can of worms. So I don't want to keep this, uh, you know, there's so many things we haven't even discussed with this movie. But yeah, I don't know. It just, yeah, because I don't even think we really even discussed Chris Pratt's character's whole thing outside Chris of Chris Pine. Sorry, Chris Pine. Uh, too many Chris's. Too many Chris's. Uh, you got to forgive me though. I mean, like Chris Pratt is in so many animated movies nowadays. I mean, you it it wouldn't be a shock if he was in this one too. But uh, that's neither here nor there. Uh, this movie's never fearless. It doesn't let like the the queen be evil. Like she has to be sympathetic and then it doesn't like, yeah, it's just, I don't know. It's just so safe. Like the mom in this movie, she just disappears. Like we don't know what her wish is. She doesn't do anything. She's just kind of there. Like, again, I think the reason I like the grandpa character so much is because like sometimes he would kind of surprise me and have fun dialogue. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, cool, a character. I guess I'm not as opposed to the safeness of it. I just, I wish the movie made, just more decisions. Like it just seems like they sure. just are. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's like, he's, you know, power hungry, like, like I guess, but also kind of cares about the people because of trauma. Yeah. They try to make him sympathetic. They try to be like, <laughs> well, you know, he's this way because he's paranoid and he lost his village. And I'm like, sure. Fine. A, a good, better example. Of this is uh, the dragon prince on Netflix. I know you haven't watched it, but like, that is a villain who you watch him in like he is the kind of villain who's interesting because he's like an anti-villain. You know, the way that like an anti-hero, it, you know, has heroic motivations but does bad things, you know, uh, an anti-villain should basically have like bad motive like do good things but have bad motivations. And yeah, it just feels like Disney when they try to do it, it's just kind of halfway almost. It's like He's kind of nice, but then the thing that makes him evil is he reads the wrong book. Okay. Yeah. Don't do that. Like, it's kind of like they assume that by not always skirting towards the exact 
same kind of archetype that they're making the character more complex when they're really just making it more general and kind of vague. And yeah, I don't know. It's just not, I don't know. It's just yeah. not really clear. <laughs> Show him being tyrannical or yeah. I I love how, what was the movie? Uh, Post in the boots, the last wish one really okay. great thing. And we can end it on this one really great thing about that movie is they just let Jack Horner be evil. Yeah. <laughs> and like, that's part of the story. Like they, they give us a message on that and it's teaching us like, yeah, some people are just bad. Some people are just demons and like people like that exist. And like that movie was so refreshing for that. And I know now I sound like I'm a big Puss in Boots, the last wish fan. All of a sudden you're just like, yeah, you're like rolling your hands and being like, he's finally coming around. There he is. But uh, moreover to that point, that's also another film uh, where they use a classic Disney character, Jiminy Cricket, to really funny. And yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Purpose, like, and that's hey, like, well, what are you doing? <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> They're like, I don't know why he's Jimmy Stewart, but he just is. All right, that'll do it for this week's episode right. of Cinemaholics. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, hey, look, if you want to complain about Disney movies with us, or if you want to defend Disney movies, join the In Between Drafts Discord. We have a Cinemaholics channel. You can find us on there. We post episodes of the show on there, and you can chat with us. And uh, yeah, always, always happy to to hear everybody who reaches out and the email, our emails in the show notes as usual, cinemaholicspodcast at gmail.com if you want to comment on the stuff we're going to be talking about. Will Ashton, yes. what are we talking about next? Uh, I don't know. Is it Dream Scenario? Is it Dream Scenario? Is it Godzilla Minus One? Is it Eileen? Is it Maestro? Is it Silent Night? Is it Poor Things? I don't know what you're going to be watching. I'm just going to try to watch everything I can. And uh, I'd like to talk about the holdovers. We, I know we talked about maybe Napoleon. If uh, we can get to it, Saltburn. Hey, the, the, I don't know where to begin. Love Actually? Uh, no, I mean, I'm, I'm open to whatever. But yeah, we kind of need to figure out because, I mean... May, I December? Know. Yeah, I mean, if you want. I mean, I'm definitely, uh, definitely open to whatever. There are so many films I want to see. And none of them are wish. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, if you want to hit us up and give us a suggestion of what you'd like us to talk about, again, you can hit us up, check out the show notes for links to Discord, email, all that good stuff. And we'll see you on the next one. From the Internet California, I'm John Agroni. And for the Internet Pennsylvania, I'm Lashin. See you. Next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.